is there still adventure to be found in this world? Welcome, my Mere Mortalites, to another round of the book reviews. My name is Kyron, host of the Mere Mortals podcast, but also this one where I dive deeper into the books that I'm reading to give you the juicy information to perhaps extract some themes and perhaps just have some fun and adventure, which we do have today, Around the World in 80 Days by Jules Verne. So this was originally published in 1872 in French. And uh, the version that I have in particular here is by a translation by Frederick Paul Walter, And it's quite a large book, but it does contain a fair few pictures that were engraved, drawn with the initial serialization of this as it was done in those times. So it probably took me about four hours to get through in total. It's a relatively simple tale of an adventure novel of a gentleman trying to win a bet. (laughs) That is it. So we follow the Englishman, Phileas Fogg, this very exact stoic, precise man, as he is joined by his manservant, Passaportou, a French uh, former acrobat who is helping him on his journey to win this bet. And as the title suggests, get around the world in 80 days. So he starts off in London and England, and then he goes through India, China, Japan, Singapore, the USA, finally back to, to I think, maybe even hitting France and then England on the, on the way home. So mostly the various colonies that existed of England at the time and he encounters various mishaps, dangers, people trying to stop him because they think he's a thief. They encounter these you know, natives in India or the Indians in the United States who try and hold up a train that he's on. All of these crazy things happening, which is throwing into doubt whether is he going to make it in time? Will he win his bet or not? So we follow all of this on his journey as he eventually arrives back in England and then there is just plenty of drama right up until the very last chapter. So I'm going to talk a little bit about Jules Verne and this book in particular. Jules Verne, very, very popular author from not only his own time, but continuing on into even the present day. I believe he's the fifth most translated author of all time, just behind Mark Twain and the Bible and two others, obviously. So uh, it's very, very intriguing character and he's written some uh, amazing books before such as Journey to the Center of the Earth, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, etc., etc. Very much focused on this adventure type um, scenario or, or novel. The interesting thing about this was that it was kind of plausible or just becoming plausible at the time in the late 1800s to travel the world in, in this sort of fashion. All of the colonies were becoming a bit more connected. The Indian continent was now sort of being connected by railroad much like the US was a little bit previously and so we do see oh you know it kind of is plausible and so this book was actually suggested highlighted before by other people I believe even the name around the world in 80 days is somewhat of not an original creation of Jules Verne but he took it from elsewhere and this spawned a lot of people who actually tried to do it such as Nellie Bly nine years later I believe where she managed to get around the world in uh, 72 days so very very impressive and and showed okay this book was actually even though it's fictional it, it does highlight what was happening and being transformed in the world at the time. So getting on to my first and only theme for today We're talking about adventure, an exciting or daring experience. That is the literal translation of adventure. What we see about adventure is it's it's kind of about the feel. It's this electricity in the air. It's the so many different exotic locations of tall tales. There's this mystery. What's going to happen? Who knows? And 
this was transmitted, I guess, through the populace of the time. And so if I jump over to here on page 20, Phileas Fogg has just made his bed and he's going on his way. As he left London, Phileas Fogg surely had no inkling of the huge uproar his departure was about to cause. First, the news of his bet flew around the Reform Club, generating real excitement among the members of that respectable fellowship. Next, thanks to various reporters, the excitement went from the club to the newspapers, then from the newspapers to the populace of London and the entire United Kingdom. This going around the world business gave rise to comments, arguments and analyses that were as eager and impassioned as if they concerned a new set of Alabama claims. And so an Alabama claim is actually uh, something that was uh, done uh, for the Confederacy in the United States. It was the US government took England to international arbitration and claimed damages. So it was kind of like a, a bond, I guess, or something like that. So there was this excitement and it felt and you could see this throughout the year. What caused this, I suppose, was kind of the unknown. So there was a a lack of communication, I suppose, in that day, they really only had the telegraph and newspapers to to know what is on the other side of the world. How do these people behave? What are their customs? And they would be just receiving little snippets, perhaps, you know, an an Indian would, would be in the United Kingdom and you'd sort of get a flavor of, oh, oh my God, they look different. They're brown, you know, those sorts of things. And I guess the, you know, kind of questions nowadays, are we able to have adventure much like they had in this time of the world? This was where you could be an adventurer and and go around the world in this kind of time period and see all of these different things. Uh, It's almost like we know too much. We have internet and satellites there's literally a service where you can book a satellite for 15 dollars, and it will take a photo of somewhere in the world for you you know would this be as exciting if i could do that and and kind of follow phileas fogg on his gps and know you know hand by hand account because some tiktok or youtuber is taking a video of him as he arrives into a city maybe but i would i would argue it kind of takes away from this this unknown aspect, which is what gives rise to this adventure. When, what has been the most recent adventurous thing that someone has done in the last kind of 30 years, all the mountains have been climbed, all the seas have been relatively conquered. And there's only a couple of places which I can reasonably think of where maybe we could get this adventure back. So one would be deep space, you know, this idea of traveling to Mars or a completely different planet of getting down into the very depths of the earth and the deep, deep ocean where it's just absolutely unhospitable for, for humans to survive, but perhaps we could construct machines and then maybe even more artificial means such as through games. So we do see the similar level of excitement of, of people, you know, going through these games of exploring different worlds. And, and as technology allows us to perhaps, do these adventurous things like Phileas Fogg did, but perhaps we don't actually need to leave the comfort of our own home, but we have haptic suits and things like that, you know, VR, auditory sensors that replicate what it might be like to be in a location. Uh, you could sort of see, okay, maybe we will experience this simplest level adventure in the in the future, and maybe even be able to take out some of the danger of death to our physical being, although perhaps that's a necessary element to feel it. If you are in a sort of space adventure game, is it going to have the same impact knowing that you're also safe back in your own home? Probably not. So that is this, 
element web perhaps with randomness and difficulty we could add it in and i know i'm getting kind of away from the the book here so i'll bring it a little bit back the reality of it of the adventure was it, it was kind of a mix it, it ad, adventure is not pure adventure so you could say wow uh phyllis fogg he had this amazing adventure across the world in 80 days but when you get into it yes there's these high octane moments of the gunfights of the improvisation of the drama of the sacrifices that he has to make and then a lot of the time is just him spent on trips and boats. And so I'm going to jump over to here onto page 37 where he is crossing the, uh, which, uh, where the Red Sea and the Indian Ocean, Indian Ocean cooperate with Phileas Fogg's objectives. So he's kind of just going through the Suez Canal and we're, we're starting to learn, okay, you know, what was he doing all this time while he's on these boats? So uh, in this one, I believe it was a 12-day uh, trip. And so what was Phileas Fogg doing all this time? Wouldn't you expect him to be constantly worried about and nervous, concerned about the wind shifting and impeding the ship's progress, about wildly surging billows that threaten to damage the engines, about, in short, very possible form, every uh, little mistake there, uh, that could force the Mongolia to put into some port and jeopardize his journey? Not at all, or at the very least, the gentleman didn't let on that he was considering these possibilities. He was the same unemotional man, the same unflappable member of the reform club, who no incident or accident could surprise. He showed no more feeling than the ship's chronometers. You rarely saw him on deck. He didn't bother to take the briefest look at this Red Sea that was so rich in memories, this stage for the earliest dramas in human history. He didn't come up and scout out the interesting towns that were scattered along its shores, the picturesque shapes sometimes silhouetted against the horizon. He didn't even ponder the dangers of this Arabic body of water, which such ancient historians as Strabo, Arian, Atremidorus, and Idrissi always spoke of with horror, and over which old-time navigators ventured only after blessing their voyages with sacrifices to appease the gods. So you can really see, okay, yeah, maybe there's some cool stuff on the outside, but if you've seen it before, if you've traveled before, you know, the adventure, you, yes, there's all these cool things happening over the bow of the window or through the window of the ship. But <laughs> in the end, you're just kind of sitting there in a, in a room and then things are passing you by outside. So with this adventure, it's kind of important to note, yes, there is adventure and perhaps we as humans can have adventure like this in the future, but it's going to take a whole lot of boring space travel and other random stuff to, to get these high octane moments that perhaps exist within as well. So other observations and takeaways that I've made personally for myself, technically it's a really, really well-written book. It skips the boring parts where you know, he's, everyone kind of knew what would happen or what it would be like at the time. A ship day of, of 12 days doesn't take up one twelfth or of his uh, twelve eightieths of his journey. No, it, it skips over in a couple of chapters. Uh, there's characters with various temperaments, so you get this kind of blending of mm, self-inflicted pain uh, versus pain that is exterior, i.e., delays that are exterior. In this case, there's there's surprise ending. The denouement is is a new little word for me there, and I guess just the general contrast of scenery of all of these different new exciting locations. You go, okay, yeah, this is. It, it, it's got a way of keeping you entertained and intrigued throughout the book, even though it is a, a very simple formula, i.e. a man is just trying to win a bet and there's maybe four or five characters worth noting who pop up constantly throughout the book. 
is very descriptive as well. So I'm going to jump onto page 90 here where he's going through Singapore and we're starting to learn a little bit uh, about it. So where are we here? The island of Singapore is neither large nor imposing in, in appearance. It suffers from a shortage of geological contours, mountains in other words. Even so, the place is attractive in its low-profile way. It's like a park with lovely paths cutting through it, hitched to stylish horses imported from Australia. A smart rig carried Lady Awuda and Phileas Fogg through clumps of palm trees with sparking foliage, then myrtles whose cloves consisted of partly open flower buds. Pepper bushes were standing in for the prickly hedges of Europe's countrysides. Sago palms and big ferns with superb fronds added visual variety to this tropical landscape. The air was steeped in the pungent scent of nutmeg trees with lacquered foliage. Watchful, scowling mobs of monkeys were plentiful in the trees, and targets were a possibility in the tigers were a possibility in the jungles. To anyone who's amazed to hear that these dreadful carnivores haven't been totally eliminated from this comparatively tiny island will answer that they keep coming into Malacca by swimming across the strait. So there you go. You get to this very highlighted idea of, of what's going on, which is pretty important for a book about travel, especially considering it was published in a time when travel was for the rich and was expensive and was probably not undertaken by the large part of humanity. Uh, and, and still isn't to this day. And so you do get this idea of, okay, the descriptions are very important because what's the point of saying he's going to, you know, Shanghai and Shanghai is just described as a boring city just like London. No, you've got to have the, this flavor, the spice to, to add onto it. One thing I will recommend as well for anyone who's reading this is try to avoid the chapter titles because the chapter title gives away exactly what the chapter is. Each chapter is broken down into maybe five, six pages at max. And so, you know, in which passport, passport two says a bit more than maybe or two. You get an idea, okay, well, he's going to blab and it's going to be uh, cause some trouble. So I would just recommend not reading the chapters as you're going through or at, at, at the very least don't read them at the start because you will get the full deal of the book uh, even though um, it's... You, you kind of want it to remain adventurous and a somewhat, not a secret, but to keep that tension, I suppose. So in summary, uh, sometimes a book can just enthrall you. Unfortunately, this wasn't one of those ones. So there was nothing, anything particularly wrong with it, but I just can't recall any compelling moments of any moments where I couldn't put it down, where I needed to read the, the next chapter. It was always like, oh, you know, Phileas Fogg's doing something cool. That's all right, but... I never became emotionally invested in the character or the story. So, um, yeah, it was just like lacking a little bit for me. Uh, I've also read another book of his before, um, Journey to the Center of the Earth, and I, I rated it the same as I'm going to rate this or very close to it, which was I enjoyed it. I enjoyed reading it, but it's it, like, as you saw from the themes, there was nothing I could really take out for a bit. It was a kind of pure entertainment type thing. So... Um, I definitely prefer a book more like Lost Horizon, which also is adventurous, but it does have these core underlying themes, which I, I think made me think a little bit more and let me extract a little bit more from the book. So in total, uh, Around the World in 80th Days by Julius Verne, I'm going to give a 6 out of a 10. It's okay. Um, if you enjoy adventure novels, give it a try and, and I hope you enjoy it more than I did. 
And that is it for today, my memoir lights. Thank you for joining me to this part of the audio. What are your thoughts on Jules Verne, on Phileas Fogg, on getting around the world in 80 days? I would love to know all of these things. The best way to do that is via sending in a boostergram. A boostergram is a message that you can send within the actual podcasting app. And it also has a um, value that you have attached to it of Satoshi's, i.e. a portion of Bitcoin, where you can uh, express your support for the show in this monetary manner and also give me something to highlight, to talk about, to investigate more and, and get further into. I read all of these always out in the end of month book recaps, which occur on the last Monday of every month. And yeah, I would just uh, recommend going to a, a podcasting app like Fountain because I also do put images in here. So you get a little bit of a, a highlight of taste of perhaps exactly what I want to show as well as kind of slideshow. Uh, there's some links attached as well. And of course, that's where you can uh, help support the show. This is a value for value model. I do put a tremendous amount of effort into fixing the audio problems that I've been having recently of creating all of this, of putting it all together in a, in a nice little package for you and, and really trying to give you a taste of, of, of a book without having to spend the four hours um, necessarily to get through it. Uh, Fountain is a, is a great app for that. And I also actually had Oscar Murray, the developer on Fountain on the Mere Mortals podcast. So I would highly recommend just checking that out. And I do try and highlight some of the themes that I, I take from these books and use them in that podcast. So you will notice a lot of my thoughts are reflective around what I am reading. And, and um, yeah, I just do, do hope uh, that any of those things appeal to you. And if not, why are you still here? <laughs> so I really do hope you're having a fantastic day wherever you are in the 80 days that it takes to circumnavigate the world. Chiron out.